It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome uh, to the Two Jacks once again. This is our 29th episode of Doing the Combination. Uh, of Australian and overseas news. And joining me, as usual, all the way in Hong Kong, uh, where it would be the verge of summer there, Jack. That's worth a public holiday. No, it's, it's not a public holiday today, uh, but it is starting to get a little sweaty, that's true. Summer's coming. Yes. Um, We've had a, had a very, very pleasant spring, but it, it will get uh, steamy. I've got to say, the Southern Highlands is cool um, uh, with winter approaching, but we're having lovely sunny days at the moment. Not, not too much rain about, not a lot of wind, which pleases me. Um, but you've got some news from Heathrow for us, Jack. I don't know. What, yeah. what's, that, what's happening in Heathrow? <coughs> it was a, a little bit. There was a little piece on uh, on Twitter about some news coming from Heathrow and they had a big photo of uh, Terminal 2, uh, as it used to be called, uh, and there was the sign for the entrance and it's now called the Queen's Terminal and the um, and the apostrophe's in well, the right yeah, place, the important. whole thing. And the first comment that... The first comment that came up underneath that was, mate, it's worse than that. She's dead. <laughs> Queen's Terminal. Yes, she was. She died of old age too, Jack. Nothing. Uh, that was what the death certificate uh, said, uh, just simple old age, um, which uh, isn't really a thing that kills you. Um, just being old doesn't kill you. It's uh, the bits inside you that stop working that do it. Um, now, Jack, uh, the budget, we were on the eve of it uh, yesterday, or last week when we recorded, I should say. Um, it's been reasonably well received. Uh, I notice uh, Laura Tingle um, said that it was a very solid budget that feels like it really has been arduously put together through lots of small savings and cautious revenue measures. Um, the, the bottom line, Jack, is that uh, with the influx of uh, revenue from not just from the mining industry, but certainly uh, that was a significant part of it. And also with near enough to full employment in Australia, you had lots of PAYG contributions as well. Um, and that afforded the government to, um, uh, well, it will repay less, $86 billion less in interest uh, in interest in the in the uh, uh, over the coming year, so we had a surplus very briefly, uh, and then uh, that was uh, that was uh, spent away to a, a degree. Um, what did you think of the spending measures? Uh, look, they're okay. Um, uh you know, it's, it's a pretty good budget. I mean, it, it, it's easy to do a good budget in these circumstances when the pockets yeah, are full. And, you know? and there are some big problems arising, and we know of these. These are structural deficit matters that, uh, that, that revolve around the old age pension with an ageing population that revolve around the NDIS with its uh, costs blowing out. Um, it... Uh, uh, there, there, there will have to be more reform down the road, won't there? 
Yeah, the, the NDIS um, needs to be fixed. I mean, it's inevitable when you start a new scheme like this that there will be a certain amount of uh, scamming and rorting that go on at the beginning of it. Um, and the system needs, inevitably, the design of the system needs to be redone to prevent, first of all, that, <clears throat> but also to make sure it's targeted the right way. You know, it's often often these things are spread yeah, too broadly. I, 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 mean, I get the feeling that, that there's the, a well, the, and look, it's not just a sense. There, there, there are reports that indicate this that there is a lot of waste in the NDIS. There, a fair bit of not waste, yes. shall we say, but a fair bit of uh, shall we say, colourful uh, accounting jack. Do you, do you remember the first version yeah, of the Yeah, that looked very, very vaguely. I remember my mother holding the card. Yeah. Uh, that would have been about 74. So I was just a nipper. Yes, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I can remember that the doctors were uh, invariably sort of opposed to Medibank when it was first introduced, um, but because it had some looseness in its arrangements, uh, they did very well out of it. I, I remember my father... Um, uh, uh, having a bit of a sledge with uh, a, a friend of his who was a local doctor, they were building a new um, a new clinic um, uh, 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 post Medibank, and um, my father used to refer to it as the E.G. Whitlam wing. So <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what happens with new yeah, schemes. It does. But we do have an ageing population and there are structural deficits around welfare payments, particularly to the elderly, and those things are going to need to be sorted out yeah. too. And and the only answers there really in order to reduce your spending is to um, uh, make it more difficult for those self-funded retirees to to uh, achieve some sort of welfare benefit, some sort of half pension, those sorts of things. So it's it's going to be those those are difficult things to do because they're not going to be seen, uh, they're not going to be uh, accepted all that well by by the electorate at large and by uh, by the elderly in the community. Uh, and they require and the same with the NDIS reforms. It's going to require a lot of hard slogging work. And courage, yes. a bit of courage as well. Look, the the Chalmers budget is based on a number of assumptions and, and there are some that uh, would seem to me to be a little bit shaky. Uh, wages growth at 4%. Well, it ha wages have been growing, it's true, but not at 4% yet. Um, so that's, that's one that's... Um, uh, in full employment, you would expect labour to grow, or near enough to. You would expect, uh, sorry, uh, wages to grow a little bit more, um, but four percent may not be hit. And of course, the big, the big item is that inflation will uh, go into the ARB's band of between two and three percent sometime late next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm a that's a big assumption, isn't it? With with so much going on around the world. Well, I think the thing about budget assumptions is all budgets are based on some assumptions, um, and yeah. and and they are there's a bit a degree of guesswork involved in that, um, and they don't always work out that way. All right. Well, when uh, you have one budget, uh, there is a budget in reply, and that uh, allowed Peter Dutton to get to his feet on Thursday nights about seven thirty, and and make an impassioned speech on behalf of the coalition. Did you see it? Jack? I did. Um, well, I, I saw highlights of it. We didn't get the whole lot here, but I managed to track down a fair bit of it, um, uh, and I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty yeah. good, conservative uh, grist for the mill. Uh, yeah, he, he struck the right notes, I thought. Um, he talked about 
um, sensible things that normal people would relate to um, uh, and did that pretty well. And and he did land, well, he land a blow, but he, he put up a, a, a reasonable point that perhaps we ought to look at um, how much we allow people who are on um, uh, unemployment benefits to um, to work before that cuts out um, so that you encourage them back into the workforce. And um, uh, It's a low-spending measure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I presume in that, and I, and I looked at the speech for more detail, but it wasn't forthcoming, um, the, uh, uh, the ability for someone on a job seeker to earn $300 a week more without it affecting their benefits. There are already those schemes in place, but not to that amount. So we're talking about someone who um, uh, who, who is looking for work, who finds a bit of part-time work, um, up to $300 a week. It's a, it's, it, look, it's a, I don't know whether it's a sensible measure. It's a nice measure um, to uh, to look at these things. He talked about there being 800,000 people on JobSeeker. Um, most of those people... Jack, uh, in their uh, in the latter part of their careers, shall we say, and it's just not easy for them. And I suppose the other thing you'd say with that sort of three hundred dollar a week incentive is that you know you'll you'll look at sort of uh, the permanent casualisation of people on um, on low incomes uh, or getting back into low incomes. Um, but look, it, it 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 sort of resonated a bit. I thought I thought they'd. You know, Dutton made the right noises about immigration, and, and I'm just talking sheer in sheer politics here. Just keeping Labor on their toes there, um, with some fairly large figures that tie into the well, housing crisis. We can broadly call it. Um, if you've got uh, uh, the 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 population of Adelaide, it was used many many times. The population of Adelaide coming to Australia over the next five years, uh, where are they all going to go? There's no plan, said Peter Dutton, on uh, where these people are going to go. Okay. With what do you mean they can't all fit in a housing shortage? They can't all fit in a barrel in a in a, in a bank vault. You mean? <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 the Adelaide answer, not. Well, it was a while back. Um, but, uh, yeah, it did sound a bit ominous for the people of Adelaide that, you know, they could easily be removed and then uh, just uh, quickly replaced with uh, new migrants. But a lot of those migrants, of course, are not long-term. They, they are people coming here to study and work, uh, people are coming here uh, to perform work that a lot of Australians don't want to do, meat workers, uh, fruit pickers, those sorts of things, the... the um, uh, the so-called backpackers that the National Party scream and jump up and down for. Um, so, uh, but at the same time, I think any time people start talking about immigration, particularly in that context of housing and and the, and the, the uh, huge demand there, uh, I think that's a reasonably good day for the Liberal Party. It is. However, Jack, Look, he, he, as I wrote he, that he, piece, he, he, Can I just say, I, I thought he did okay. Um, uh, and uh, and the point about the the working way un- unemployment benefits, um, I watched Jim Chalmers on Q and A last night, and he didn't really have an answer to that apart from saying he wanted more detail. And of course, the opposition's not like the government, where they can have the Treasury boffins run you up the detail. Well, they do have the bo- they do have the access to the budget office, parliamentary yeah. budget office. But yeah, they, look, these things were in a budget in reply, um, um, very much in the ephemera. Yeah. It's a political uh, document. Uh, uh, it's a political uh, document rather than an economic one. Yeah, it is. 
Uh, I thought he did all right. And I actually wrote a column uh, on Friday saying that. Uh, and at around about the same time, uh, Simon Benson released a, uh, uh, a really scathing um, uh, criticism of Peter Dutton's budget in reply. I looked at it and I thought some of the points that he made were, were perfectly valid. Um, I have to say that that sort of commentary means something's happening. If you know what I mean, um, are you having a, a, a whack at your colleague, Mr. Benson? No, no, no. What I'm saying is that Simon may know things within the Parliamentary no, Liberal Party that we don't, mm. uh, and uh, and that's almost uh, uh, that, that's that's almost given. Um, but it was utterly scathing. I mean, he was talking about you know Peter Dutton thinks people on one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars a year. Are, somehow working poor and, and and a lot of the criticisms were valid as I say but I just I got the feeling that there that there was uh, perhaps a bit of a push from elsewhere Jack yeah I don't think anybody else want the job well it's it, it is let's let's make this absolutely clear I know Peter Dutton we'll go through some polling figures shortly I know Peter Dutton is not terribly popular but I would say it is the toughest job in politics in Australia and, and he's still a pretty probably always has yeah. been but circumstances now make it really really tough he's in the toughest position um, I think um, uh, since uh, labor lost power in 1975 there's a couple of reasons for that um, firstly, like 1975, in 1975, people were pretty keen to get rid of Gough Whitlam's government. Well, what came out after the change of government was just an endless series of, um, uh, of uh, stories pointing out how, just how dysfunctional it had been. And that's exactly what Dutton's facing. All the Scott Morrison ministry things is, has driven... Um, they're now much more unpopular than they were when they lost when they lost office yeah. because people see more we'll clearly just how much of a shambles it was. And this makes Dutton's job, you know, it's the toughest, not just the toughest job at the moment in politics, it's the toughest job for quite a while. Well, you're not likely to survive. No, you, you, well, you, that, you're not likely thing, to become the know, Prime Minister. That's right. Probably 90% shot that you that, that, that you that the party will move on you at yeah. some point uh, before the next election. Um, so, you know, short odds on that that will happen. Uh, so, you've got to be of pretty strong stuff to, to to pull it all together, to keep it all together. You, you, you've got to get up every morning like knowing this is what nightmare. you face. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's yeah. Not, it's and, not a job that every that people would easily undertake and, or should easily undertake. So, whatever his faults, you've got to be made of the right stuff. Whatever his faults, Dutton doesn't lack bottle. It's different. We'll talk about some polling in a minute. It, it's a little bit different, I think. The mood of the country is is very different to what it was in, let's say, 2007, 2008, yeah. uh, when the Rudd government was elected. I, My view is that, it's, that there was a very strong sense that the country had changed almost immediately, and it was very um, – it resonated of 1983 to me. Yes, and, and that and that means a long time in opposition for the liberal for the liberals if if that if that happens. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I don't think the liberals can win the next election. It's always possible that Labor could lose it, but they'd have to really mess things up badly. So from yeah, here, that's right. And 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 I, I think there's been 
and again, we'll, we'll get to the polling. We're going to have a bit of a look at Elbow first, but uh, they're in a better position now. That there was a, perhaps a sense of doubt about Albanese in 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 the uh, broad electorate, uh, a bit of a, a concern about Labor more generally uh, as a federal government that largely has been sort of acquiesced or, or you know, settled down, that, that, that people are finding a bit more confidence in, in the, uh, the federal government. Really, all they had to do was just work. Uh, well, because the other mob wasn't. Well, the, other, the other mob didn't work. They were all bloody lazy, most of them. Scott Morrison, perhaps not. He was taking up five ministries plus his own. Um, but a lot of them were just lazy. Um, it, it, the government had become a bit of a shambles. This tends to happen to governments, I might <laughs> Oh, they do. You know, they've all got uh, they've all got used by dates on them. It's just depend. Uh, it's hard to read. It's hard to read what it is sometimes. It's it's, it's the magic tra- magic of our Australian democratic system is that when they start becoming a shambles, you can chuck the buggers out. Yeah, well, it can get worse. We'll talk about that shortly in a, in a minute. But uh, Troy Bramston did uh, the big elbow profile. Uh, in the um, in the Australian on the weekend, the weekend Australian, I should say, uh, and um, uh, there were some uh, some really telling sort of stories there. That Albanese is a very experienced politician now, and he's been through that two thousand and seven to to twenty ten, uh, and then twenty ten to twenty thirteen. Um, been in government, held senior ministries. He understands how the wheels fell off uh, in 2007 to, and, and to, between 20, uh, 2007 and, and 2013. And it just it looks to me on that profile, actually wonderful work from uh, Troy, uh, that, that Elbow has learned um, that once you're in government, you don't give a mug a chance. Well, that's right, but he's gone back to the basics of good government from a sort of a Bob Hawke um, uh, uh, model, you know, proper, ca- proper Correct, cabinet yeah. government, transparency, open door for, um, uh, for backbenchers to come and see him, to make an appointment and yeah, come and see him. very important, absolutely yeah, I important. Mean, I mean, Kevin, yep. Kevin never understood that, that um, you only govern as Prime Minister um, with the support of your colleagues. You've got to keep about 40% of them happy at any one time, you know. Um, yes, of course, there was that moment in 2010, June 2010, where uh, he called for a spill the night before after they'd moved on him. It was rather silly, the whole thing, but the following day, he obviously made a few phone calls and he, he realised that he could barely get a cricket team together in, in the caucus and he was done, yeah. so there was no So, so, so Elbow's learnt the lessons from that and, yeah. and it's a kind of – these are just basic things, but if you don't get them right, um, uh, you, you don't survive. Yeah. Um, like I say, um, uh, I think uh, that it was kind of an 83 moment. I'm not suggesting Anthony Albanese is uh, Bob, ha- Bob Hawke reincarnated. Oh, gee, Bill but, shouldn't uh, be upset if he did that. <laughs> <laughs> He's always thought he was the next Bob Hawke. He's got his work cut out for him with the NDIS. But uh, yeah, Albanese, I, I really got the strong sense, and I've discussed this with another p- number of people who follow politics very closely, uh, and we we all sort of come to the same view that, you know, this by about Christmas of last year, there was a strong sense that the country had changed. I mean, you change the government, you change the country. That's 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 a given. Uh, 
so yes, there was this very strong sense that the that, that the country, the mood of the country, had changed. It, it wasn't a ringing endorsement. The election, it must it must be said, wasn't a ringing endorsement of Albanese and Labor. But the polling now, Jack, is showing that um, a lot of voters who might have been undecided or swinging voters have come on board for. Uh, towards Labor, that they're being rewarded for being a a better government. Um, We could say they're good, bad or indifferent, but they're they're a better better government than than the one Morrison was running. Um, Getting big ticks in foreign policy, um, which is perhaps not a a voting determinant, but uh, 63% of voters are saying, this is in a resolve poll published today in the nine media papers, um, 63% of voters saying the government has done a good job and only 29% rating it poorly. Voters in marginal electorates have backed the government by a similar margin with 62% calling its performance good. Uh, Labor primary vote steady at 42. The coalition rose two points to 30%. Well, that's that's kill, that's kill zone no matter what. you can't. The coalition can't be low 30s. Uh, asked to name their preferred Prime Minister, voters chose Albanese over Dutton by 53 to 20. Um, <clears throat> and uh, voters consider Albanese and Labor to be the better side to manage all but one of 17 policy issues, Jack. Um, and uh, that's not economic management. So they lead in economic management as well. Um, and uh, as I say, very good stuff with... with um, uh, with foreign policy, and I think a lot of that is, I, I still think the Liberal Party's got a major problem with the Chinese vote uh, in this country, and, and they made some mistakes, and they need to atone for them, and they haven't yet. They've got um, a lot of work to do in a lot of areas. This is pretty much what I th- pretty much what I thought was happening um, at the time of the Aston by election, which is why I thought they'd lose that election, um, yeah. lose the by election. Yeah, I, I, you know, you cannot make comments like "prepare for war against China" and 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 constantly intimate that uh, China is their enemy without there being backlash in in the Australian Chinese community, who may not be supporters of uh, many of them, are not, of course, supporters of the uh, of the Chinese government, but they're looking at this by saying, "Well, why are you picking on us?" Mm. And, um, yeah, they've got a lot of no, work to do. Even on a broader sense than just the, the, the problem with the Chinese community, um, uh, the, you know, the government was the, – the, the opposition was, was clearly going further backwards post the election. Um, and and I, I, it perhaps hasn't quite hit the bottom yet. Oh, I don't think they're at rock bottom yet. They've got a way to go. But just having a look at those figures with uh, – and they didn't go into a two-party preferred thing, which I kind of like, the resolve poll – didn't do that. Um, but where you've got Labor at 40 uh, and uh, the Coalition at 30, that's kind of 54, 55, 45. Now, it's a, it, it, that on primary vote, it's a 3% swing uh, to Labor. And I've uh, sort of indicated this before. When you look at the pendulum, and what I'm, what I, the way I do this is exclude the Queensland seats, the LNP seats, and exclude the national party seats that are held um, um, in in Eastern Australia outside of Queensland, where it's the LNP. And there, and there are twenty five Liberal seats 
held under those circumstances. A 3% swing, most of those seats, by the way, are on a, on a marginal band, um, a 3% swing will make them lose 10 of their 25. Early days, we've got a number of, we've got a couple of years to go before, uh, mm. before we go to a federal election, but those are damning figures. It would sort of leave them with a bit of a cricket team, uh, the, the Liberal Party alone, in a, in a new parliament. And all of this is, is why I would say, why on earth would you want Peter Dutton's job? Yeah, it's it's definitely the toughest job in politics, and, and I think he's sort of handling it well, but Simon Manson might know something yeah. that we don't, Jack. So the, we'll... The, the, um, the, can I say this about Elbow? Elbow's a classic example of you're never quite sure what you're going to get when you put someone in the top job like this. Some people, um, um, you think, well, they're just a stopgap measure and they end up lasting. You know, Henry Bolte, they thought he was going to be you know, Premier of Victoria for a, about a year or two. He was just a stopgap uh, and stayed there for 20-odd years. Um, this happens quite a bit in politics. Elbow might turn out to be better than a lot of people inside his own party thought he was going to be. Yeah. It's, it's rare in Australian recent political history uh, to find someone who's grown in the job. Yep. Um, but it but can happen. He, he seems to have. He seems to have. Um, we might not want to be too unkind to Julia Gillard, but you'd say her early days as Prime Minister were pretty ordinary. Malcolm Turnbull was diminished, I would argue, by uh, by his Prime Ministership. Tony Abbott, uh, of course, uh, um, uh, won an election with a, by, by, essentially, by essentially a landslide, and then he was gone within a couple of years, uh, and then we had ScoMo. So <clears throat> um, the, the uh, only, we haven't the seen only, anyone really grow into the job. Throw, um, in, Pat- Kevin, throw in Kevin <laughs> Rudd, and the only one of those who had anything like a, um, a, a proper cabinet government was Julia Gillard. The rest, None of the rest of them did. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, and Rudd, of course, was another one diminished by his election. Um, mm. And his Prime Minister, she would disagree, of course. <clears throat> but his Prime Ministership was a walking disaster, and um, and, uh, and and I, I still believe you and I disagree on this. That that, that the move in twenty ten to get rid of him was, I, I, I you know, in hindsight, I think it was ill timed and not properly explained. Oh, look, you could be, look, you could be right. Uh, I look at the Rudd Gillard um, uh, Rudd years this way um, is that you had one prime minister who was. Um, popular with the wider electorate, but not popular at all with people who had to work with him. In fact, he was quite often despised. And you had another prime minister in the middle who couldn't seem to translate her um, her personal charm onto a wider level and be liked by the wider population. Yeah, but she but, had the processes in place. Yeah, and she was very popular with people who had to work with her and did work with her. So yeah. that, was the, that was the problem. Yeah, look, uh, that's that, that, that that's a, that's a pretty good assessment of of the Gillard prime ministership. She just in the end, look, they made a number of mistakes. I mean, when they basically stuck it stuck it to single parents, um, and and took away a lot of tax relief, there that was a bit of a disaster. I'm sure if they had their time over, if Julia had her time over again, she would have she wouldn't have gone down that pathway. Um, as it stands, I think we've got a current government who are just working, and I and and when you look at a mob that weren't working, you think, oh, okay, they're going okay. At well, least they're trying. People will be pretty tolerant of a government provided that's plugging away and doing a fair job. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's that's where we are. All right, Jack. Speaking of which, uh, the government uh, has stuck with the current proposal on the voice, and uh, you'll be this will displease you. Um, well, I think it's a wasted opportunity. But there you go. Um, I still uh, think the, they're good I, things. I, I read the report of the government members of the the, the committee, and it struck me that. Um, that the whole committee process was a bit of a farce. They had no interest in in, uh, in even examining why this current proposal might not be up to scratch. It was just, you know, you take it or leave it, this is what we're going to do. I, I, I sort of get the feeling that the voice will get through on sentiment rather than on detail. Gee, that's a that's a that's a very dangerous uh, political play to make. We're going to get through this through on sentiment. Ooh. Yeah, well, I, I just, I just, well, knowing the electorate, and you will find that most people won't look at the particular details of, let's say, the voice advising the executive, um, uh, and see. I don't, I don't think particular. they will look at the detail either. But if if what they see is that there are ver- various explanations as to how it's going to work, I don't care what the detail of those is. But if there's more than one explanation as to how it's going to work, I think it will fail. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, uh, I think one, one of the one of the yeah, I know one of the attack one of the attack lines is, of course, you know that we are creating two two uh, two levels of citizenship, um, and 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 that may sort of resonate um, uh, with some Australians. Yeah, yeah, they they're, they're both. Um, both sides are really coming off the long run, but they haven't bowled a ball yet. Mm. Um, and of course, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't know when that referendum will take place. Still, no, uh, it must, of course, go through the parliament. And I think it's got sixty days from from then on, Jack. Oh, I think it's between two and three months. It's got, it gets most probably going to be in October, November. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a fair way to go before that happens. Mm. Now, look, uh, if you if you like seeing people uncomfortable, uh, the ACT inquiry into the uh, Brittany Higgins uh, rape charge uh, and the processes therein from the prosecutor and the police. The police haven't had their day of reckoning in the box just yet, but uh, the ACT... Um, public prosecutor has and you've got to say Jack it was like watching something it was it made you shift in your seat didn't it I mean it was like the guy was being tormented yeah um, it, it looked uncomfortable didn't it, um, it yeah he, he wouldn't have slept well that night no, I think no, it was all, the all week. Thursday or the Friday yeah yeah he would have needed a stiff drink on uh, Friday um, the uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but chuckle Riley at one stage, though, because, of course, he called for the inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. This is the prosecutor. There have been no inquiry without his very loud and persistent calls for one. Yeah. So well, that's Shane Drumgold mm. um, and uh, uh, everyone suing it, everybody else in the background. Uh, it's a complete not a mess. The police will be giving their uh, uh, will be giving their evidence. Uh, started because, today, I think, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, I think so. That's today, and and uh, we'll go on for the rest of the week. Uh, <coughs> in, uh, in in basically a judicial inquiry, um, and uh, it, it 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 promises to be uncomfortable. This story has been 
very closely followed by Stephen Rice, the wonderful Ricey, uh, at the Australian X60 Minutes, uh, uh, Janet Brexton and, and Kristen Shorten's uh, one of the Australian's investigative journalists. They're both working hard at it at the moment, or all three are uh, working hard at the moment. We'll get to some sort of resolution, but it is deeply murky at this stage. Yeah, well, for, for poor Mr. Drumgold, uh, I think the low point for him was uh, when he was sort of accused of having misled uh, Justice McCallum uh, um, uh, by failing to disclose some relevant information to her. Yeah, that's a that, pretty uncomfortable position to find yourself in this if you're DPP. And, 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 long... and he, was, he was caught red-handed, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. There's there's like, there's no there's way a, out. There is a, 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 a fair bit of to play out in all of this. Um, but, you know, it's the old story, don't call an inquiry unless you know what it's going to be. This is going to be in advance. Absolutely sensible stuff there, Jack. Um, yes, it. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say now, depending on what evidence we've got, we should have a, a really intensive look at this next week, Jack. Um, there've been a lot of uh, lies uh, thrown yeah, in the yeah. turmoil when, when, when over we know all what this. Happened. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff's a little bit overblown. I mean, the fact that the police and the DPP had a different view as to whether um, uh, um, Mr. Lerman should be charged. This is not that uncommon for That's the police uncommon, and the DPP yeah. to have a That's different view uncommon. about things. In fact, I think if we want to go back into uh, the days of Pell, then uh, uh, I think. Uh, uh, the Victoria Police, their task force, Sano Task Force, had uh, had run up uh, um, um, prosecutions to the uh, OPP in Victoria and uh, got knocked back. So they went they went their own way. Uh, twice they twice they put it to the to yeah. the Office of Public Prosecutions and got sent back with you know um, <laughs> needs Please more work. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they, they need to work harder. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. in, in fact, you know, all the gossip around um, Melbourne was that the, that the Office of Public Prosecutions thought it was a a, a, a ridiculous thing to put up and it was never going to succeed. So, um, so just you know. going back to the Lehman matter. Um, this is a uh, this is a basically a, a civil and administrative tribunal, or is this a, this is a fully blown the, judicial inquiry? Uh, they've appointed a former Queensland judge, I think, to sit to, yes. to sit as the inquiry. It's being so, held yeah, as Sobranoff, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sofranoff, yeah. I should say, yeah. yeah. So uh, he, <laughs> that uh, reporting will come. Uh, we might take a deeper look at this and just where where those various relationships are at the moment. Uh, there's talk today in the Australian, another piece written by Ricey and Kristen Shorten, um, uh, that uh, one police officer was so traumatised uh, at the prospect of Mr Learman being found guilty that uh, he, he basically um, uh, was unable to continue on with his work. Mm. All right, very colour. Spare, spare, spare a thought for Mr Drumgold's cat. Um, he might have got a kicking when he walked in the door on Friday. Yeah, yeah, you have to worry about the pets. Have to worry about the pets. Now, uh, in the US, Jack, uh, the Trumpster had a had a colourful week, didn't he? Um, he was, of course, uh, found liable for a sexual assault um, that occurred uh, in New York uh, and has to fork over uh, quite a bit of money. He has indicated he will appeal that. Um, but at the same time, virtually the same day, uh, he uh, he appeared on CNN and was given the full town hall treatment. 
Yeah, CNN really need him, don't they? Um, uh, their ratings have been going bad, and he, he, he fills up their ratings jar. Yeah, yeah. Look, did you see much of it? Did you watch some clips? I'd watched, I, I yeah. saw some clips there. I, I, I saw once again this fellow who just cannot accept the fact that he was beaten in 2020 and continues to talk about fraud, um, <coughs> electoral fraud, which no one is buying anymore. Uh, and uh, and and when he was asked about uh, the uh, sexual assault liability, he said he didn't even know who this person was. So uh, the uh, person in question is considering suing him again. Um, uh, so uh, I don't know, Jack. But look, I'm I'm just going to walk you through some of the polling. Uh, Republican presidential nomination: Trump fifty five, DeSantis seventeen. The rest in single figures. Um, uh, the Iowa Republican Caucus, Trump 44, DeSantis 26, arrest in single figures. Uh, Florida, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, that's a, an American greatness poll, which I don't know too much about, but that's this is just the Florida Republican presidential primary. That's Trump 42 and DeSantis 34. And then when we get to, uh, there's a Yahoo poll, general election Trump v. Biden, Biden plus two, General election, DeSantis versus Biden. Biden, Biden is plus three there. And Pennsylvania, DeSantis uh, v. Biden. Uh, that's Susquehanna poll there. Biden by nine in a critical state there, Jack. Yeah, the last polling last polling that I saw on the DeSantis v. Biden stuff had, had DeSantis in front. Um, that's probably eight, six, five or six or eight days old. Um, uh, but at the moment, what it looks like to me is that if, if it were held in the next couple of months, um, that uh, DeSantis can't beat Biden. Um, uh, DeSantis can't, sorry, DeSantis can't beat Trump. Um, Trump can't beat Biden, and <laughs> Biden probably can't beat DeSantis. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a, I'm not a scissors rock paper thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I agree with the third part of it, but. Um, but that, that's, I think the rest of it sounds pretty right to me. That DeSantis is, um, uh, well, let's say, uh, it, I, the thing for me, Jack, is how does Trump manage his way through the primary? Well, I, the don't primary think he, I, don't, I don't think he can. I think it's that not was- as if he's going to go out in Iowa, is it? He's not, not going to go, well, I've given it a good run and. In January, she's going to pull out. He's not going to pull out, so it's going to be highly destructive for the Republican Party. Yeah, that's one side, and on the other side, um, we have a situation where the the Democrats are trapped into running with Biden and Harris, um, and and their uh, support is diminishing even amongst even amongst Democrats. I mean, a, a clear majority of Democrats don't think Joe Biden should be the candidate. Well, a Rasmussen report poll, Jack, published uh, last Tuesday, uh, Democratic presidential nomination 2024, Biden 62, Kennedy 19, (laughs) and Williamson 4. Williamson's quite an interesting character. Kennedy is just an old anti-vax grifter, um, Bobby Jr. Another poll that had him him, um, about five points behind Joe um, for the nomination. So. Yeah, look, it, it, it's going to be a distraction. The, 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 the problem with Kennedy is that, so, so what I think 
you're looking at with that particular pile, and I haven't seen the one you mentioned, but but that is, oh, Kennedy, yes. this sounds nice, and Joe Biden we don't want. So it's more like anyone but Biden, it would be the response. But as soon as Kennedy starts talking, <laughs> it's going to get a bit messy for him. Um, That's what I think will happen with Trump. Um, if you watch the CNN town hall, he didn't talk at all about 2024, um, uh, and no, as 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 it gets as as it gets closer to people having to vote in the caucuses and primaries in various various states, I think they'll be looking for someone to someone who's got something to say about what they want to do in twenty twenty four, and I think he's got nothing to say. So I think those figures will turn around, which is why I think my long term bet is is on DeSantis. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I think it's really hard to unseat, even under these circumstances, a, a, a president from going uh, going yeah. two terms. And that's that. There, there will always be that difficulty. He could, uh, he, uh, DeSantis could, uh, could put up the white flag to Disneyland for a start because he's getting an absolute hammering there at the moment. Um, um, yeah, look. What I think is going to be a particularly damaging primary for the Republican Party, I did notice that DeSantis got a couple of high-profile endorsements from senior Republican, senior Republican conservatives, but anyone who basically uh, offers their endorsement to DeSantis is going to have problems with the Trump camp. Yeah. And, and, and so it's going, to get, it's going to be very messy. Very well, messy. I don't think those endorsements amount to much, to be quite honest. They don't, and I know that Ronnie was running around in Florida trying to get a couple and <laughs> and couldn't get them um, because uh, presumably they'd been on the phone to the Trump camp or the Trump camp had been on the phone to them. Mm. I just, just see that the, the, this primary can get particularly messy from essentially the fact that Trump is unhinged. Did you see him answer, <laughs> and I've seen him answer this sort of question before, the question was put to him: Don't you, uh, don't you, uh, don't you want the Ukrainians to win? And he said, "Oh, it's not about winning and losing. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> For Trump, it's not about winning or losing." But he said, "I could solve that in a day. He could pick. He could uh, solve the Ukrainian invasion in a day. Just get uh, Putin and." Uh, and uh, the Ukrainian president uh, in in the same room and sort it all out, Jack. What do you reckon the chances of that are? Mm. Oh well, <laughs> I, I, I don't think you get the chance. But I mean, look, yes, a lot of MAGA people. He actually drew a round of applause when he said, "We've got to stop killing people," which is essentially what's going on in in eastern Ukraine at the moment, um, and, and got some applause for that. But this idea that he is this great deal deal maker. I don't know if you read um, um, Barr's comments on Trump during the week, Jack. Did you see any of that? The, this former Attorney General. I saw the Not video. Complimentary, Jack. Not entirely no. complimentary of the Trump state. Just said basically, just not suited to the job. Not. Um, 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 uh, emotionally suited, doesn't have the work ethic, all those sorts of things we kind of understand about a Trump presidency now. Uh, yes, Barr was particularly critical. Um, we are, it must be said, if Joe Biden is going to win the uh, 2024 race, then, uh, if, you know, America is headed lock, stock and barrel towards a gerontocracy. And one of the leading figures uh, will be Diane, uh, Diane Feinstein. 
Weinstein, I should say, the, who the at 89 sen- has returned to Congress. The senior senator from California, yeah. Elected in 1992, I think. Yes. She's, she's, she's going to give Strom Thurmond a, a, a run for his money here. Not that Strom's around with us anymore, but he was still sitting, I think, a Virginia senator, wasn't he? Or yep. a, a Virginia uh, senator, a congressman? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he uh, basically died in office at about 103. He did. Um, uh, Rolling Stone, who I don't absolutely trust for their journalism, but they had oh, a piece on, about Diane Feinstein uh, this week. They managed to persuade one of her, a disgruntled former staffer of hers um, uh, to spill the beans on how the office runs. And the, the bit that amused me was they had a roster um, so that whenever the senator stood up to leave the office and go for a wander, there would be someone ready to go with her, um, uh, to drop what they were doing and go with her just in case she bumped into a member of the media and had something to say. They needed to be able to step in and stop it. Well, at the same time, uh, the uh, the man with um, so much personality has got five of them. Um, George uh, George Santos has been charged as well, Jack, with multiple felonies uh, for, broadly speaking, dishonesty offences, Jack. What mm. chances he's got? He's not resigning, although a lot of Republicans will not support his re-election. Republicans oh, in Congress he, uh, I think his chances of re-election are, 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 basic, are basically zero. Um, mm. uh, it it looks like doing what, a bit of time as well. Well, it sort of depends what he's being charged, what he ends up being charged. Or the unemployment can, fraud, that's that's yeah. because he was claiming unemployment, unemployment yeah. benefits while he was in, an employee. Um, so, yes, uh, it'll be an interesting thing. I, if, I, I, if he's, if he's I, been I do char- admire his pluck. If, if he's been charged with lying about his background for political reasons <laughs> to get elected, well, um, there, there wouldn't be enough lampposts in, um, uh, in in Washington to hang all the people who are guilty of that. Uh, the jury would not need to retire, Jack. They would just simply say, look, I think we can stop there and hand the judge a little and, and, there, and there'd be a lot of Those other nervous time. people in Congress who, who've done exactly the same thing. Perhaps oh, not, not to as, the same not, degree. Not to the same extent. This guy has reinvented himself. In Brazilian, he claimed he was Cuban. Mm. Uh, that's the, that's that was the start of the lies, Jack. And once you start telling lies, there's no stopping it. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how he goes there. His major complaint, he did. Honestly, I admire his pluck. He he got out in front of the the media after his arraignment and um, and. Uh, there were people yelling at him, calling him a cheat, a liar and a fraud. But he maintained that the problem that he had with all of this was that the, um, uh, well, he said he was a victim of a witch hunt, which is uh, which is a very typical, typical Trump language, but also went on to say that he couldn't believe uh, that um, the various agencies, uh, law enforcement agencies in the United States had come to a conclusion to charge him in such a short time. <laughs> And maybe that's because it's fairly obvious. Um, so I want to watch there. He is the uh, he is the great clown of uh, of the Congress at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. My only reservation about it was um, I, I saw the dreadful words, you know, wire fraud in there, and and the wire fraud stuff. Something they charge people with when they can't find anything else. 
Well, that's that's felony stuff. I mean, that's sort of federal felony stuff. So, yeah. so mail mail fraud too is what they call it, and that takes you across states, so mm. it becomes federal. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I, look, I know what you mean, um, but there's a fair bit, a fair bit of chunky stuff that he's going to have to I, deal I would with. Hope, I would hope for their sake they've got something of more substance than, than, than wire fraud. Uh, yeah, that's that relates to the um, uh, to the electoral um, rorting, the alleged electoral rorting. But um, the, from what I've seen, the uh, the uh, claims for the un- <laughs> unemployment insurance. Excuse me for laughing. While he was a full time employee elsewhere, seems to be a, a fairly straightforward matter. Uh, we will see. We just. We've been looking at the Turkish elections very, very closely over the last few weeks. There was a suggestion there that uh, uh, the President Erdogan would um, uh, would get rolled and then possibly pull a Trump and refuse to go. But uh, with, a, I think, about 99% counted now, Jack, we've, we've got... Um, We've got uh, a runoff. Uh, Erdogan will not get the fifty percent he needs in order to uh, in order to be re-elected in his own right. He got about forty nine. Forty nine. Yeah, he's close enough. Yeah. So the runoff obviously won't include the third candidate, the ultra nationalist, who got about five percent of the vote. Um, so that five percent, who will get that? I would think Erdogan's a pretty short price favourite to be re-elected. Um, it looks probable now. On May 28, I think, is when the runoff yeah, it is, occurs. it is May 28. Uh, and um, uh, how would NATO view this, Jack? How would NATO uh, view Erdogan's um, re-election? Can I offer the opinion that he's probably better, <laughs> he's the bastard that they at least know? Um, yeah, they'll be looking for some sort of stability and know where they stand. Yeah, so in a sense, while Erdogan is a far from perfect individual, um, it might be just be uh, a case of everyone sort of breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief and saying, "Well, at least at least we know how to deal with this with this human being." Well, well, the difficulties in all these situations where you say, "Well, we'd like to get rid of this person who's a long term president somewhere because he's a." You know, and doesn't behave in a very democratic fashion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You just never know what you're going to get next if you do. Uh, yeah, if they do replace it. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think the the view from Europe will be uh, sanguine, um, but um, at the same time, Jack, there are some there are parts of the polls, and I'm not suggesting anything untoward, but in those areas that were earthquake um, riddled. Uh, amid claims that construction had been, you know, had, had been very poor, very poor standards of construction that had created even worse um, conditions for those affected by the earthquakes, uh, and that, of course, Erdogan is considered the sort of nation builder, and you know, property developers are all his mates and all this sort of stuff. Um, but he won in those areas. He won in those districts where you know that, that were most affected by. Uh, by the earthquakes, and that was, and and also, you'd have to say there was a pretty poor response from government after the earthquake. So they had the preconditions there for the shabby housing, and then uh, when that went down, uh, very slow and 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 late 
responses to the humanitarian crisis unfolding in Turkey. Well, he's been in power for a long time um, and his party organisation is very strong um, and it's sort of become a bit like an arm of the government in the sense that they employ, pretty much employ people from their own party. Um, So he's built up a large government workforce who are kind of wedded to voting for him. Um, so he may have been able to pull that off in the in those provinces, but yeah, it was it was interesting to me anyway. And of course, prior to the election, Jack Elon Musk, the free speech absolutist, agreed uh, with uh, Erdogan's um, uh, restrictions on Twitter, uh, so Twitter could survive, but would uh, would exclude a lot of electoral information. Uh, yeah. And uh, when that came to light that Elon Musk had had, had agreed uh, to uh, the, the great free speech absolutist himself had agreed with Erdogan's restrictions. Um, it's some uh, quite a lot of Twitter got stuck into him, Jack. Um, yeah, there was a bit a bit of dummy spitting on both sides. I think. Yeah, I think there was. I saw Elon gave it a big spit there a couple of times, calling people brain damaged and what have you. He doesn't take uh, criticism. Matt, well. Matt Iglesias, the journo, he that's called right. brain damaged, I think, if I recall right. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it, was a, it was a strange thing to do. So if you're a free speech absolutist, as Elon Musk calls himself, it's not what we're calling him, it's what he calls himself. If a political leader in a key country like and we've been very most remiss of us, Jack, we haven't been calling it Takia. Um, yeah. And I blame you on that, by the way. I've been, it's Turkey, <laughs> of course. Uh, and that was another Erdogan, um, an Erdogan push, of course. They, I think it was basically they don't like being mocked for their national name. So it is Turkey. Apologies, listeners. Um, uh, but De- um, Erdogan basically um, uh, said, well, this is how Twitter's going to function <laughs> during the election campaign. And Elon just went, yes, sir. He went along with it, yep. Unbelievable. I'm starting to get the impression, Jack, he may not be the sharpest tool in the shit, that young Elon. Anyway, um, uh, it it appears that it was all for naught uh, and uh, Erdogan will be re-elected on May 28. You would imagine most of those ultra-nationalist five percenters would uh, blend into uh, his vote if they do turn up. Of course, it's uh, not... uh, not mandatory voting in there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jack, interestingly, he said that the Erdogan's party, I can't remember his name at the moment, um, they did much better in the parliamentary elections than the opposition. So the, the parliamentary elections take place on the same day. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, and they, and they have returned with, a, well, I think, an increased majority, isn't it? Slightly increased yeah, majority. Uh, so the high vote the other fellow got, uh, the opposition leader got for president, would indicate some dissatisfaction with... Erdogan himself, but not, um, the party. but not necessarily his party. There you go. All right, Jack, South Africa. Um, uh, they have, there's an energy crisis going on around the world, but uh, it's not much worse um, anywhere than South Africa. Um, <coughs> oh, but it's not that, Jack. What do we got here? Knocking out, um, knocking out a bit of gear to the Russians. Well, the, the US ambassador, um, uh, I don't know whether he had much information for this, but he accused the South Africans of um, sending arms to Russia. Right. Uh, and had to, he was sort of called in for a chat after this and had to walk it back and did. 
Um, so we'll just have to wait and see what turns out to be the truth of all of this. Uh, but uh, a very embarrassing day for the uh, for the ambassador. I would US thought. ambassador to South Africa. He's apologised unreservedly. Um, but there was a, a Russian ship was loaded with ammunition and weapons in Cape Town last December. South Africa says it has no record, record of an arms sale. Uh, and uh, the South African president, uh, Ramaphosa, has ordered an inquiry. Going to be very interesting there, Jack, because, uh, of course, yep. the Wagner Group are very, very um, prominent in Africa and uh, they'll be getting their weapons, uh, uh, but they'll be, they'll be doing a lot of trade in weapons in Africa as we speak. So it'll be an interesting one to see. We'll keep uh, our listeners informed about that. Uh, in the UK, Jack, will Labor be tempted into going with a, pro- a proportional representation if they win, changing their vote system? What, how did this come up, Jack? Because they've always had past the post, first past the post, haven't they? They have always had first past the post. Uh, of course, the, the third party, the Liberal Democrats, are very keen on the proportional representation idea, mm-hmm. which is common through the through continental Europe. <clears throat> um, and... Um, uh, Labor has always sort of fiddled with it and looked at it but never been really keen. But there are some suggestions that they are getting closer to that. Keir Starmer also wants to extend the vote to 16- and 17-year-olds uh-huh. and to resident non-citizens in the UK. Um, the UK has a lot of resident non-citizens because of the internal European migration that's taken place um, over the last 20 years, um, and Keir Starmer wants to um, give them the vote. Uh, His argument is that uh, because they live there and pay taxes, there should be no taxation without representations and they should get a vote. Does make sense. Um, Except that sort of nowhere else in the world really does this. Well, if you're paying taxes, taxes, Jack, as an individual, you should be able to vote, surely. Um, we, don't do that in Australia. American, American we, we don't Revolution. do that in Australia. Um, it's an interesting move, isn't it? I, I, I don't know why they're uh, why they're uh, uh, dwelling on these things right now. They seem to have very very strong polling figures that first past the post will reinstall, rebuild, reconstruct the uh, the red wall in the Midlands and up to the northeast um, and. Uh, and they look like fairly good things as we, as as as, uh, as we go. Um, and it, I did see Sunak. Sunak has just uh, met with uh, the Ukrainian uh, president, and uh, and and they've offered more in terms of munitions and uh, and drones. Uh, who would hate? Who would who would dislike that announcement, Jack? Be a Labor bloke, wouldn't he? Sorry. Well, there'd be a Labor bloke who's not terribly keen on the Ukrainian war. Uh, well, there's a bit pro-Russian, Jack. There's quite a few. Well, there's one in particular, isn't there? And, and that's Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn runs around. Well, he's not, no longer a Labor Party member, I think it's fair to say, Jeremy Corbyn. Is that right? When, when, yeah, when, did, was, that, when did that happen? Uh, well, he, he might still be a member of his local branch, but he's no longer, he no longer sits as a Labor MP. Uh, okay. I did not know that, and and of course he he's part of this stop the war group, yeah. Um, which doesn't mean it, they don't want to stop the war. They, they just want, they want just Russia to win it, 
Yeah, this, this reminds me of a, an old Labor mate telling me about all the peace activists in Melbourne, you know, um, 20 years ago. They're not peace activists, he'd say to me. They're just on the other side. <laughs> it certainly is the case with Corbyn with his stop the war. It's not stop the war, keep the war going. Mm. But if we could just get the Ukrainians to lie down, that would mm. be a big help. Um, yeah, uh, and, and he, he's hooked in. He actually had a, an advisor, and I can't think of this guy's name, when he was leader of the opposition, that is, who started um, a group called the Stalin Society, which is a lovely thing. Wouldn't it be lovely to be a member of that, was, Jack? Was, was this the former journalist Seamus Milne? Yeah, that's him. That's him. And, uh, you know, they got together because they thought, you know, Joe Stalin gets, gets a lot of bad press these days and it's time to... Time to clear the record. And these are the sorts of people who will say, yeah, look, he sure he's killed more than a million people by execution and starved tens of millions, but he had a terrific housing policy. Terrific. The, um, uh, Seamus Milne, um, I always enjoyed him when he was a journalist because he's um, uh, fairly typical of um, – of, of a certain group of progressives in the UK, um, uh, you know, not just Labor, but, you know, uh, an absolute Stalinist, communist um, uh, uh, Labor person, uh, but, of course, comes from a very quite well-to-do background, lives in a lovely big house on Richmond Hill. Uh, <laughs> the children go to very good private schools, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a stereotype, isn't it? It's a straight-out yeah. stereotype of the left, of, of the hard left. Um, yeah, and uh, and thank God someone's around there just to tell us Joe Stalin wasn't all bad. Yeah. Um, Thailand elections, Jack, and I guess it was an expected one. I'm going to let you lead off on this because there are some new names in national world leadership that I'm going to struggle to pronounce. Yeah, um, well, but- that, 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 that will be two of us. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, uh, who's the chap who won it? Um, uh, well, call Mr. him Peter. Peter. Peter, Peter yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he's a former tech executive. He, he's, he's leading the move He, he looks pretty party. impressive, really. He does. It's what <clears> Thailand needs. This is actually a really good result. Uh, and the daughter of former PM Takshin Shinawatra, um, her name also is Shinawatra, thank, thank the Lord, but I'm not going to try the, uh, the first name, Jack. No, um, I'll, I'll wait until I find some Thai, Thai person to tell me how to pronounce it. Maybe. Um, but it looks like they'll form a government um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the political situation in Thailand is in, in, inherently unstable, unstable pretty yep. much. So it depends whether they get some clear air and can govern pretty well. You know, I mean, as I said last week, I think, you know, the thing with Thai elections is to, it's not so much the result, it's what happens next. What happens next is, of course, how do the military views the, the yeah. way they govern. So you, you would like to think, I mean, Thailand, it's a place where a lot of Australians travel for holidays and, 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 and so forth. But Thailand has got a, probably one of the worst on earth uh, in terms of political stability. I mean, they, they used to have a coup every every Wednesday, every second Wednesday, uh, and largely driven by the uh, largely driven by the military. So it's how the military responds to this, and I guess the the, the wider view about how the monarchy will deal with this, Jack. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, but overtly good signs. Overtly good signs. I noticed most of I always, I always think if young people are excited about uh, change of government, then that's probably a pretty good thing. And, and um, yeah, and, and so the youth of Thailand, young voters in Thailand, seem to be very, very happy with the result. And it's a very young country in that sense. The, yeah. The, the youth population is very proportionally high. All righty. Well, uh, in Germany, Jack, uh, Olaf Scholz, the German Chancellor, announced a plan on Wednesday that will see Germany introduce tighter controls on all nine of its borders while pushing for asylum centres on the edge of the EU. That would be Turkey, wouldn't it, Jack? Um, uh, Turkey, uh, Greece, Italy, etc. yes, it would yeah, be. Right. So a Germany, to be fair... Uh, has a long and fairly proud history, I would think, in terms of accepting Syrian refugees and did accept, I think, a million. Ooh, when are we going now? We're probably going back to about 2017, 2016, 2017. Yeah, uh, did well, well, a, a, a million people. people who said they were from Syria, they weren't all Syrian, that's for sure. Well, that, that's true. But it was a humanitarian crisis and, yeah. and it needed to be dealt with, you know, without barbed wire and, and, and razor ribbon. So the Germans have got and, – and to be fair – and I think people uh, like yourself might have suggested it was going to be a complete and unmitigated disaster. Well, it wasn't really. I mean, there were some tensions and there were some there were some problems, but it wasn't. You know, the, the sky didn't fall in, and and um, uh, and, uh, and and the country is still still uh, still uh, largely not on fire. So it's but so you know it, it it worked out in that brief time, but the people. St- People keep coming, Jack, don't they? That's that's the problem. And when we talk about the British situation, they've got really nothing to worry about compared to what countries like France, Germany, Italy, Spain have to deal with every day. Yeah. Um, the, the difference with the Brits is that um, if you get to the UK, you never get sent home. Um, uh, whereas if you, um, if you apply for asylum anywhere else in Europe, your chances of success are much smaller than that. Yeah, but the numbers are so. I mean, just the, just the French figures, just off the top of my head, that the, 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 the French arrivals are running around about twelve times what what they are in the UK, and they're big numbers. They're mm, six I know they're numbers. big numbers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the problem Germany's numbers. got and France has got really. I mean, less so in France, but more so in Germany, is that the Germans haven't made Germans of the. Turkish guest workers who moved there in the fifties. This was an issue with with uh, the Belgians as well, mm. um, and 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 gave rise to the sort of you know extremist fundamentalist Islam and terrorism as a result. Um, that the people weren't encouraged to basically engage with their new country. Mm. That's that's the secret source that made has made Australia, the United States, Canada, and New Zealand successful migrant countries. Is that in all of those countries you can become an American or a Canadian um, uh, or an Australian, and that's something the Europeans have never understood. Yeah, I think Albo uh, announced uh, that a number of uh, long-term residents would uh, be offered citizenship. Um, and there are a significant number of them. Well, yeah, a, that's, a, a pathway, that's, a pathway, the to pathway to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> and I think that's that's sound stuff, isn't it? You know, because then people who become citizens are invested in the country. They are invested in the country's wealth and well-being. 
It's a little bit more than just becoming citizens. <clears throat> They've got to be encouraged to socially become Americans or whatever. And I don't mean assimilate in the, in the old-fashioned sense, but they've got to be encouraged to see themselves not as um, as Turks living in Germany, but as German Turks, you know? Yeah. Oh, look, you know, um, the, the, uh, the, hyphenation, the hyphenation around, um, around uh, ethnic identity, there's no problem with that at all. I mean, mm. Italian-Americans and Jewish-Americans, they've yeah. been around for a very long time, um, uh, and there's no, no problem with the identities. Whatsoever, the the issue is: Are you engaged? Are you invested in the country you're living in? As long as there's a, as long as the other bits on it, like it's, you're not Italian, mm. you're Italian American. I, I I just watched just as an aside. I watched a, a rather fantastic documentary. I believe it's running on Netflix, and it's around the Boston Marathon bombing. And the two individuals, the brother, the two brothers that were involved in that, were. Um, refugees from um, um, well, their parents had arrived in America as refugees from ooh uh, Dagestan, and, um, and one of the stands. It, it was Dagestan actually, and and they, and they um, it was a terrific documentary, and and they really did examine these sorts of things that their experience, the parents' experience of uh, life in America was pretty desultory. And they never really felt connected. So the children never felt connected, despite the the, the two children who went on to you know went on to you know leave uh, explosive devices and kill people. Uh, had you know one was college educated or was going through the process of college education. Another one had gone through sport, um, but they never really felt a sense of connection. They blamed Americans for that. Um, in fact, I think the father went back home. Uh, they blamed um, they blamed uh, the Americans because they didn't attach themselves to the to the society to the to the society they were living in. They felt like outsiders. You'll so always get a few of happen. those people. They're relatively few in the four great migration countries. Yeah. Okay. To sport now, and we're going to have a look at AFL goal kicking because it's the one thing that has not improved. Uh, it's not improved as as players have become fitter, um, become professional players, um, spend um, five six days uh, in and around the club training, etc., um, and uh, and having a ping of goals, presumably with a with a with a bag full of Sharon's, but it's getting worse, not better. Jack, now, how can that happen? Um- well, there are various theories about this. Um, the field kicking, um, I think, is generally getting better, um, and that's because um, uh, successful clubs choose to employ players who can kick the ball well, um, and a lot of the shots on goal um, uh, in the run of play, I think, are more difficult because the pressure aspect as you kick is much higher, but the set shots are different. The set shots are goal. Yeah, the set those shots are don't goal, come into and it. that's gotten worse. Mm. And that's the that's the damning statistic. It's not the not the field kicking for goal, but it's the set shots at goal that has gotten have gotten worse in the last five or ten years, and that's disappointing. It tends to work that <clears throat> the the better the better uh, side or the better field kicks uh, also have better. Uh, accuracy rates. Um, I was watching Adelaide Crows um, uh, move the ball from one end to the other 
by foot, um, you know, two years ago, they were terrible by foot, and now they are one of the leading sides in the competition, and that shows on the ladder. Their field kicking, it was just one of those um, take the ball out wide and bring it through the corridor and then chip it around, chip it in, and in the end, it was just, you know, the old Joe, Joe the Goose over the Joe the Goose handball over the top to the bloke in the square. Beautiful use of, of precision kicking. Well, well, famously, Alistair Clarkson would only uh, would only draft people who could kick the ball well. And, and, and Hawthorne, uh, during that, that run of um, yeah, that premiership was, success, they were a beautiful <coughs> kicking side. So. And, and you maintain position. I mean, Carlton, um, you know, um, had, had an ordinary, a terrible first half where they just kept turning the ball over. Now, that... Surely that's a confidence thing. Um, there may be one or two guys on that list who aren't um, elite kicks, but the rest of them, um, it, 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 it's sort of beggared belief they were supposed to come out and make a statement and all that sort of stuff. And their second half wasn't bad, but their first half was just a sea of turnovers and then really terrible shots at goal. But I think they had about four of them who tried to kick around the corner goals from, from the pockets and all ended up hitting the ball on the wrong side of the boot and, you know, ended up either going out of bounds on the full or um, or uh, remain in play. It'd be swept away down the other end. Um, yeah. I, 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 think- I saw a, um, a, a piece from, I think from Rowan Connolly uh, saying what great, got a great kicking side, the, the Melbourne Football Club are at the moment, and he had the stats to back it up. Yeah. And and he was quoting Brodie Grundy, who, of course, moved from Collingwood to Melbourne um, over the summer. Generally good user, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and, and he conceded to having been shocked at the sheer amount of goal-kicking practice the Ds put into their goal-kicking when he arrived at the Is club. that right? Is that right? Because a lot of clubs don't want them out there, the key forwards out there for a couple of hours on top of training, just, just uh, booting balls through goals. You know, there's a chance of soft tissue injuries. There's mm. all that sort of stuff, um, and um, it, it's clearly something that, that needs to be done. Brendan Favola, you remember Brendan Favola yeah. actually offered to give Harry Mackay a, a, a bit of a goal kicking lesson, which he desperately needs, and uh, and and Harry said no thanks, but that's and that's fine. But Fev was a beautiful kick of the ball, and and you remember he had the hands. The wrong uh, way around. Well, it, 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 the, the drop punt is supposed to have your thumbs parallel mm. across the waist of the footy. Uh, <clears throat> but he had his left hand higher and it, than his right hand. And you, and you want to know why, Jack? <laughs> because the, the left hand doesn't do anything. The left mm. hand doesn't do it. If you're right footer, the left hand doesn't do anything. It's the, it's the right foot that drops the ball. You're talking about guys with bloody big hands. They're full forwards as well. So they can hold the ball one hand. So Fev... Fev used to line up for goal when when he learned this particular skill. He, um, you know, he he said, "Well, I, I really don't need the left hand. I could actually, <laughs> but I don't want to look like a smartass <laughs> just because people think I'm an idiot now and just take the hand off the ball. But it does it does nothing. So that's when he put the left hand. He just gently had the had the left hand um, uh, on the footy with the right hand lower to just just assist with the drop." If you, if you watch rugby league, if you watch soccer, if you watch rugby union, uh, the ball the ball taken, you know, well, it, it, let's say a penalty in, in soccer or, or a kicking off the team in, in union and league, 
they they get them most of the time, right? And they, even from the sidelines, they'll ping goals and all that sort of stuff. And that tells you that the that where things go wrong is the drop of the ball. Hmm. And the drop of the ball, I mean, I, I, I can't understand why someone like Harry Mackay, who's basically directly in front, needs to run around the corner. I don't, I don't get that. You know, have have some faith in your ability to, to kick a drop punt. And if you don't have one, if you don't have faith, that is, then maybe, I'm sorry to be picking on Aaron McKay, but he's had just had the yips this year. The, 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 maybe the reason is you're not kicking drop punts at goal often enough. Yeah, I don't think they practice it enough, um, you know. But yeah, and, and I, I reckon that's a club control thing. So it's a really interesting point that, you know, the most successful club in the competition, well, certainly up there and look like the best side in the competition at the moment, are the most accurate and do do a lot of kicking at goal, Jack. Yeah, and 40% of games so far this year have been decided by three goals or less. So a yeah. bit of accuracy and kicking is going to make a difference. Just before we leave the footy, um, uh, Richard Hines, we were talking about last week, um, yeah. he was complaining on Twitter um, uh, a couple of days ago. Well, Collingwood Blake, he was always, always yeah, complaining yeah. about and, something. And I, I want you to guess the story he's writing about. He said that it, it's a shame that this particular story is being, an old story is being uh, brought back to the surface again because it's very triggering uh, for, <coughs> for Collingwood fans of a certain age. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you go. Yeah, they're just still, still some have got the yips. Um, you know, the, the, this, the, the story, of course, was... Um, not the yips, but was, the, 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 the trauma, the deep trauma. Yeah, what, was, what are we was, talking was, about? 66, 70? No, no, it was whether, it was whether Wayne Harms was actually out of the boundary line. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, 79. We're going with 79 now. That yeah. was play on. Well done. Well done, Wayne Harms. He yeah, comes down well, from the mountains every September. <laughs> And, uh, and just relives that moment. Yeah, what does he say? Sporting uh, nights. What Wayne Harm says, um, uh, uh, if I'm asked about that, if it's a Collingwood supporter, I always tell them I was out in the Jollymont Rail Yard. <laughs> you know, I was so far out. And uh, and if it's anybody else, I tell them, I tell them the truth. No, nah, uh, well, it, it, kicked, it kicked the ball. He yeah. kicked the ball, and 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 it's screwed off. It's gone off the side of the booze. A wet day, and it's gone off the. So he's just chased after it. I mean. Um, there were about four or five Collingwood Blacks in the middle between the ball and him, but he managed to make up that uh, that yeah, ground. The hurricane, yeah. Wayne Hart. Anyway, not much anyway it was it was it was Large triggering. Unit. It was triggering poor Richard Hines. You know, you know, for all these a large unit, Wayne Harms. Um, uh, I heard David Parkin uh, uh, telling a story one day that um, they they set up the high jump. Um, um, uh, gear at Princess Park for training one night and he was easily the best high jumper. Oh, look, he had a tremendous leap. No, when I say he's a big unit, he's a big unit now. <laughs> he's, yeah. um, he's tubbed up the last. Well, he was chunky enough then. Yeah, anyway, he was, yeah. Anyway, anyway commiserations to Richard. Um, uh, you know. Oh, well, let's hope it happens again soon. Um, I don't mind who does it, by the way. It doesn't have to be, uh, doesn't have to be a Carlton player. Um, uh, interesting thing in, in racing here, Jack, on uh, uh, jockey's vests uh, and and the Australian accepted type, uh, jockeys are saying, is leading uh, leading them to uh, injury, where it basically, once they hit the ground, they don't roll. They, the, 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 the vest will basically pull them up and that uh, heightens the chance of spinal injuries. 
Yeah, um, uh, the, a body called the uh, Australian Government's Rural Industries Research and Development Corporation have found that neck injuries have increased since the introduction of the vest. They're quite rigid, so um, they can't roll with the... Um, mm. uh, the and the vests are designed to protect them from the impact of a horse, um, so that if they hit the deck and the horse stands on them, that's the vest is supposed to protect them against that. They, the jockeys themselves say they're more worried about... Um, the kind of neck injuries you get, which are increasing with the rigid, um, the rigid vest. Yes, and and this has got the support. Well, it's actually Shane Dye who's um, uh, who, who who started it off with a criticism of these yeah. accepted Australian uh, riding vests, and, and uh, great Hall of Fame riders themselves, Damien Oliver and Darren Boedman, have jumped in. Um, I believe there is a vest in Japan. Um, which uh, tends to resolve these kinds of issues, and uh, and the racing authorities won't allow it in Australia, Jack. Yeah, um, and quite a few of the jockeys now do ride in Japan. Damien Lane spends a fair bit of time up there and gets good rides, but um, uh, they say that the Japanese vest is more flexible, um, uh, and that's what we should go with here in Australia. But um, the racing authorities um, are not keen. All right. Well, um, look, there is a feast of sport coming our way, Jack. In in fact, the um, the World Test Championship at the Oval. I always thought that was going to be at Lords, but it's at it's at the Oval between India and Australia. That is less than a month away. Hmm. Um, we've got the Ashes thereafter, and the Ashes is abbreviated. Uh, so I think it's is it the four or five tests, Jack? Help me out. Uh, it's five tests, I think, but it's all five in, tests. All, but they play them all in June and July. Yeah, there's um, no, there's no, there's not an Ashes Test in August. That's when the hundred starts, and yeah. and uh, the program has to make way for it. So it's going to be very, very packed there. The one thing that caught my eye today, Jack, BBC uh, report, MS Dhoni is still a superstar. Captain of the Chennai Super Kings, still a superstar, still belling balls out of the ground. He's forty-one. Mm. Um, so uh, the the question was put: uh, the um, uh, the IPL trophy doesn't have a name. I suggest uh, MS Dhoni might be a pretty good. Maybe after he re- uh, he, he has now announced his retirement, but it, 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 it's almost like. He doesn't really need to. He looks like he's got a couple of years, couple of years left in him, and we all know that uh, as as much as we love the game of cricket, by the time you get into your late thirties, that's the hands and the eyes just don't work. Mm. So yeah, tremendous it's... effort from him. Um, we also um, we also must uh, turn our attention to the uh, uh, to the Premier League again and Arsenal. They just, you know, the, the the weight of expectation has, has pulled them down. They got beaten, I think, three zip um, by Brighton, who are an emerging side. Have had a very good uh, Premier League side. They're still in the hunt for uh, European qualification, so they're going hard. They gave Arsenal a spanking, and of course, uh, 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 Manchester City are just just winning winning for fun at the moment. So they look like they will take out the. The Premier League, I think they're about five points in front of uh, Arsenal and uh, with a game in hand. Uh, so they look like they'll win that. They've still got the FA Cup um, to play and um, and uh, the European Cup. So 
Yeah, um, I, um, I heard from an Arsenal fan, Arsenal fan the other day. He says, the only satisfaction for us is that uh, we're going better than Spurs. They're great North London rivals. <laughs> yeah, well, Spurs, have had a, the Spurs have had a pretty ordinary time uh, this season. Uh, uh, Arsenal, look, you know, they're going to finish second. And, and I was talking to an Arsenal mate of mine yesterday last night. And I said, well, second's not bad in the Premier League. It's just that you've been hunted down and sort of fallen apart towards the end. But three or four years ago, Arsenal were a basket case. Well, last year they were a basket case. Well, they weren't. I wouldn't say last year, but but the the, the year before that, they definitely were. Um, middle of the middle of the middle of the table sort of play. They, they had they got the new coach in and uh, and started making some impact last season, but. Um, yeah, look, they haven't had a, a bad time of it at all. And they've done it kind of the right way. They, they, they haven't got the sort of £40 million a year player. Um, they've got maybe they've got a few £10 million pound a, pound a year players, but uh, they've gone away about a lot of Arab money in there, Jack, in in, in the Premier League. I believe uh, a Saudi uh, group have uh, made a bid for um, Man United. Uh, I, I did read that headline, yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, and of course, Man City have got Arab money and uh, and a lot of petro dollars keeping that thing afloat. Um, uh, as, so, as and do, of course, as do as do PSG and France, and you know, we, we haven't been paying much attention to the rugby. It hadn't been a lot of footy on, but 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 there's the World Cup there. Uh, Australia and New Zealand will host. Um, and, and when's that? When have we got that going? The World Cups in France in uh, um, October, November, I think. So what's the uh, what's the Australian what's the Australian I thought Australia was hosting the World Cup the Australian New Zealand or got, oh no that's the uh, that's the women's women's soccer isn't it yeah that's the women's yeah. so, so, okay all right well we'll keep an eye on what goes on in France I'm not sure when that'll be that'll probably be uh, sometime in the spring Jack do you know so um, Australia England and Argentina are on one side of the draw. Um, which looks very much the, the the favourable draw. It looks much the weakest side of the draw, <coughs> and uh, Ireland, France, South Africa, New Zealand are all on the other side. All right, okay. Well, I need to do some reading on rugby, don't I? That's uh, fairly obvious. Uh, before my next sport for our next sports report, Jack, but take us out with uh, with something weird and wonderful, which will always take us to America and specifically California. California, yeah. Well, almost every bad idea comes from there. Um, uh, a California community college is investigating a tenured history professor for the serious misconduct of handing out chocolate. I saw this. Mm. The composition of the chocolate wasn't the problem for the Madeira Community College. David Richardson told the, the Just the News, it was the gender pronouns on the rappers, he, him for chocolate bars with nuts and she, her for the nutless versions. Uh, <laughs> he, he is uh, uh, he's gay, I believe, the, yeah, uh, the yeah, press yeah. professor in charge. So having a little bit of a joke and uh, didn't go over well. Yeah, yeah. well, um, I'm on his side on this. I think that's that's perfectly okay to make a joke about that. He's already he's already suing the college, isn't he, uh, for punishing him for using do re me as a preferred gender pronouns in mandatory in, in a mandatory seminar. And good luck to him with that. <laughs>
you know. Good luck, yeah. Well, <laughs> there was that. No, how he gets on. He looks like he's a bit of a funster, and we need more of that. Yeah, we do need more of that. It's a, a fabulous, one of my favourite writers, um, Alexander McCall Smith, um, uh, a Scottish writer, uh, and he's one of his characters is the psychiatrist, and she was telling the story about she and a, um, uh, a psychiatrist colleague um, when they were newly minted psychiatrists driving past what was then a, a, a mental institution. And, um, and, and her friend said to her, uh, turned to her and said, they kind of really need um, uh, some sort of something like the food labelling signs outside these places, you know, may contain nuts. <laughs> may contain traces of nuts. There you go, Jack. We could talk about why. This current generation, perhaps the previous one too, are prone to nut contamination when kids of our ages uh, <laughs> were not so. And the most likely scenario is that it's a response to a lot of food contaminants, a lot of you know food additives, I should say, uh, and that has led to this. This going. No one's quite sure, to be honest, but that's the current theory as to uh, why uh, the youngsters, many youngsters, <laughs> if you give them a peanut, it'll kill them. Yeah, I've got a couple of friends who are anaphylactic. I mean, it's, it's certainly, um, I can remember a, a, a night we were in a box at the SCG watching the Swannies, um, and uh, it's a spectacular sight when they get, he, he carries the EpiPen around with him, but... Um, I think right. it, it was as simple as just a little bit of nut oil used to make the little party pies they give you on the, up on the box. Yeah, well, they, they contain traces of nuts, I'm sure. There's something. There'll be lots of things in them mm. um, and uh, may well be a nut or two. Mate, thank you very much for your contribution today. It's been a wonderful program. I enjoyed it immensely. I hope our listeners have too. Uh, enjoy the rest of uh, sweaty Hong Kong um, until next week. Uh, and I just want to remind our listeners uh, who, who uh, are listening in now, please drop us a line if you want to. Let us know uh, what you think of the show. Uh, if you've got some advice, some criticism, uh, whatever it should be, you can get hold of uh, Hong Kong Jack on Hong Kong, Hong Jack Kong com. There you go. And, uh, and you get hold of me. My DMs are always open. And thank you, Elon, for sending me all those Chinese, girl who's, Chinese girls who, um, in my DMs who, uh, who have some very good advice on crypto for me. It's terrific. I'll be taking that up. Um, um, but well, yes, it, you can. It, it, must, it must be our surname because I'm getting a lot of those on my, uh, on my I, phone I, and I my email think as well. The standards have slipped a little bit of Twitter, mate. I think we can be oh, well, pretty I'm, certain well, of that. Certain well, of that. I'm, not, I'm not getting them from Twitter. I'm just getting them on the Email I, uh, on emails, yeah. Uh, look, no. T- every every morning, I, it takes me about a minute to to scrub all my DMs of shit, um, and usually it's someone very pretty girl, very pretty girl who wants to sell me crypto. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but yes, uh, look, all genuine contributions to my uh, abject insider Twitter account DMs uh, are always open. <laughs> Sometimes, sadly. And thank you, listeners, for uh, for bearing with us today. We hope uh, you, we've enlightened you a little bit. This show will be out. We're recording on the 16th of May. We'll be out on the 18th of May. And we look forward to you listening to it and give us a little bit of feedback. Thanks, Jack. We'll see you later. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye, everyone.